This morning we are going to follow a bit of a different format than I've been doing lately. Uh, this, is a, this is a difficult passage uh, to get done in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Let's just put it that way. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'd like to read through the passage and then get into the sermon after having read it. So if you will uh, follow along with me, we'll turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 28. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. And uh, so 28, Proverbs 28, verses 1 through 14. It's really uh, dawning on me that after this, we've only got three more weeks of Proverbs. So we're getting into some of my... Uh, the last two are just wonderful Proverbs chapters. So I'm looking forward to that. I've been waiting all year to get to Proverbs 30 and 31. Let's just put it that way. But let, we're in 28 today, though, and we're going to look at these first 14 verses. So I'm going to read through them and follow along with me, please, as I read. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. By the transgression of a land, many are its princes, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, so it endures. A poor man who oppresses the lowly is like a driving rain which leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Better poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself follow into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. Rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Now it would be very easy to take this passage and just apply it to what is going on around us in the world, right? Where we, we, we see around us that the transgression, by the transgression of a land, many are princes. The idea being, you could take that kind of and say it's wicked to be a democracy that's you know, set up, we the people are, are the country. But that's not what he's saying there. What he's saying is that by the transgression, by the, the rebellion of a nation, that it will have high turnover in its leaders. Many are its princes. You're not going to have stability, which was the contrast, contrast in the second part. We could look around us and we could see the, the, the people who rule like a, a poor man 
or being like a, a driving rain that destroys the crops, leaving no food for the harvest. We could look around and lament and complain about how there's so much wickedness and corruption. That's all in these passages, and it's very timely. But I think I'd rather do than just feed ourselves a bunch of uh, chum that we could you know, get all excited about is looking at this, this passage in, in regards to how do we respond to such a time as this? How do we respond to the time that we live in? And, and we might be tempted at times, as that verse said there in the very end, in verse 12, when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. And, and that is definitely true. As wickedness is ruling and running amok, what do people do? But they hide. They keep their mouths shut. We don't want to put ourselves in the way of what could possibly come. We, we see where when people take a stand, all of a sudden they get visits from the IRS. When, when, when people take a stand, all of a sudden they might get swatted, which means somebody calls in a false claim against them, and the next thing they know, they're having a peaceful time with their family, and SWAT shows up at their house because somebody has told them that they are holding a gun on their family. It's happened today. And, and because of that, because uh, the wicked rise... It's very common for us to say, I've got to keep my head down. As, as verse 12 says, men hide themselves. But this age that we live in is no time to hide. And as, as tempting as it is, and as, even, as normal as it is for us to uh, keep our thoughts to ourselves, sometimes that you look out and it's kind of like dealing with, as Jesus said, not giving what is holy to dogs. You don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't give what is holy to dogs. Otherwise, they're going to turn around on you. And, and there's some truth to that. That We have to be careful that uh, in a world of people who do not have understanding, as uh, we see here, you know, evil men in verse 5, evil men do not understand justice. In a, in a world that does not have understanding, it's very easy to just keep your truth to yourself. To, to keep the righteous judgment or opinion to yourself. But this is no time to hide. And so what I thought would be good for us as we deal with these verses is, is to pick out and to highlight and to look for those things that inform us not just of what is going on around necessarily, but how should we respond? How should we act? And the very beginning tells us a good point. In verse 1, chapter 28, verse 1, we, we see that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. And I always love that you know, about people that go jogging, right? Uh, that, that internet meme of this is why you shouldn't go running because only the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. The idea, though, is that the wicked are so uh, convicted of their own wickedness, the, the sin that they are doing, the crime they are doing, even though nobody is pursuing them, they are fleeing. And this is true, that people who, who uh, have done something wrong, they spend more of their time thinking about, how do I make sure nobody finds out? Even if nobody knows, they're thinking about and, and focused on that which they have done. They flee, though no one is pursuing. In contrast, though, we see that the righteous are bold as a lion. 
The idea being that righteous people don't have to sit around worrying about will anybody find out. Righteous people don't have to flee when things get dangerous because their hope is not in themselves but in God. This word bold, to be bold as a lion, it's literally that the lion trusts in his own strength. Now, But a righteous person doesn't trust in their own strength, do they? But that word bold, that's what it means, to trust. It's, it's the idea that somebody is bold because they are secure. They trust, they trust in their knowledge. And for a righteous person, they are bold because they trust in God. Because we know Him, that He is righteous, that He is glorious, that He is powerful. And we don't have to trust in ourselves. We don't have to flee. Verse Uh, 14 bookends this idea throughout this passage when it says, How blessed is the man who fears always. Now, it's kind of funny because you had the wicked flees. The wicked is afraid. That's why he flees. That's not what this means. How blessed is the man who fears always to literally who is in dread or in awe. And so when you're talking about with God, when you fear the Lord, You revere Him. It's not that we're afraid in the sense of He's going to get me. That's the wrong kind of fear. There there should be some of that. If I sin, He will judge me. If I sin, He might discipline me, yes. But that's not the kind of fear that a righteous person has. The righteous person has the fear of God in the sense that they revere Him. That's why the person who who fears always is blessed Because they are fearing and revering the Lord. They are seeking how not to disappoint God. They are seeking how to honor Him in their life. And by living in such a way, they are going to be blessed. But in the contrast, the one who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Hardening of heart is is a picture of sin and giving yourself over to sin and being proud and arrogant against God and withstanding God and being um, in rebellion to God. A person who hardens their heart will fall into calamity. That day will come. And and so as we look around and we see a world and a culture that literally is hardening its heart against God, We know the outcome. If you stand with God, if you fear the Lord, if you trust in the Lord, you don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be afraid of calamity. And and so the the first thing we see that bookends this passage in verse 1 and verse 14 is if we truly fear and trust in God, we will not hide. It's not a time to hide. We shouldn't hide. And it doesn't mean that you just get to walk around and not have any arrows shot at you, that that nobody will be hurt by this. No, we might be hurt. But if you truly fear and revere the Lord and trust in Him, we will not hide. We don't have reason to hide. And if anything, the fact that we feel the need to hide just shows how little we do truly trust God. The Lord, and I say that as somebody who often feels the need to hide. That that should tell us 
oh, we, we need to trust in the Lord more. We need to fear Him more than we fear the world around us. We need to fear dishonoring Him, displeasing Him, more than whether or not people will like us. It is not a time to hide. Verse 4 and 5, if we go there, the next thing we see, I'm going to skip over that verse 3, the poor man who oppresses the lowly. You know, that is a picture of the world. That is a picture of a lot of corruption in the world today. In verse 4 we read that those who forsake the law praise the wicked. And there is a connection with the law throughout this proverb. And, and it's, it's strange because quite honestly in the book of Proverbs, the law doesn't come up as much as you would expect it to in the Old Testament. But here it comes up regularly. And by law, we mean the, the word Torah. And, and so those who forsake Torah, those who forsake the law of God, the, the handed down their reaction, the result is that they end up praising the wicked. They glorify the wicked. They encourage the wicked in their ways. They allow the, the wicked to shine and they glorify their behavior. But alternatively, those who keep the law strive with them. Those who keep the law strive with the wicked. If you are going to keep the law, you cannot help but to come into struggle with the wicked people. Those who forsake it, they glorify the wicked. They get along with the wicked just fine. The wicked thrive with those who forsake God's Word and His ways. But if you're going to keep God's Word, if you're going to follow Him, and, and as New Testament believers, keeping the law and uh, forsaking the law really has to do with not necessarily just the Mosaic law, but for us, following Jesus, obeying Him, being uh, submit, submitting ourselves to Him. And if we're going to do that, we cannot help but come into conflict with those who are wicked. It would be a, a reason why we might feel the desire to hide. What we need to remember, though, as we go through life, in verse 5 we're told, evil men do not understand justice. Part of the striving with them and part of the reason why the wicked thrive with those who get rid of the law is that the wicked, uh, they thrive because the evil do not understand true justice. So when you, when you get a situation where the court looks favorably upon certain people who do an act and disfavorably on another group of people who do the same act, well, we know what's going on. The evil people are ruling. They do not understand justice. And what happens is that the wicked thrive. The wicked are going to uh, be glorified and they're going to, to grow. But we're told in verse 5, those who seek the Lord understand all things. Not just those who seek the Lord understand justice, but understand all things. The more we seek the Lord, the more we seek His way to follow Him and to follow Him and to understand His heart, it's not just we understand justice. Yeah, we can come to understand justice. But we also come to understand compassion. We come to understand mercy. I cannot help but wonder when I run up against a pastor who is very harsh and, and unforgiving, what kind of a father they must be like to live with. 
because nothing has helped me grow in understanding the, 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 the lack of limits in God's love and forgiveness than having children that you love. And they sin. And you love them. And they don't do what you want them to do. And you love them. And, and, and you, 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 you sometimes take wound upon wound upon And now I'm having to speak on my dad's behalf because I wounded him a lot more than my kids ever wounded me. And you love him. As we come to know Jesus, as we follow him, and as we come to know our Father in heaven, we don't just grow in knowledge of justice, but even more so, compassion, mercy, grace. And so as we deal with people who do not understand, who are wicked, who have forsaken the law, it doesn't just cause us to say, oh, we're going to you know, meet force with equal or greater force. That's not the Christian response. The response that Jesus gives us when we are rebelling against Him is He died on the cross for us. And as we grow in Jesus, we start learning compassion. Not to hit back, but to receive, but to stand. That is the answer we get that those who seek Yahweh understand all things. Verse 12 kind of sheds some light on these as well. Not so much about how we are to respond, but just to remind ourselves of what's at stake in the world. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. When, when righteous people triumph, when they win, when they do well, there is great glory. Not just for the righteous people, but for all people. But when the wicked rise, remember men hide themselves. And, and we can look at a time when we had righteous rulers and we can wish for those times because it was so good. But we also need to be reminded that when the righteous triumph, and how can you triumph unless you stand? How can you triumph unless you understand the wicked around you? And hopefully figure out how to speak to them that they might hear the Word of God, but if nothing else, to stand and to remain. Because it blesses the people around us. Remember when, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham said, well, what about if there's 50 righteous? And what about if there's 45 righteous? What about 40? And he kept going down and down and down and down and down until he got to 10. And he stopped at 10. And people like to think, oh, well, you know, Abraham was convincing God to do something different. If I say I'm willing to do something... And you say, well, are you willing to do it if there's 50? I say, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Are you willing to do it if there's only 10? Yeah, I'm willing to do that. If Abraham had started with 10, he would have gotten a yes. There is no indication that when God said, I'm going down to see if it's true, that he didn't have any plans to save them if there were righteous people there. No, he said, I'm going down to look to see if the outcry that I have heard is true. I'm going down to give them a chance. God already knew the cry. God already knew the situation. 
And what did he find? He found one man, Lot. If there had only been ten, the the people would have benefited as the righteous triumph. But unfortunately, there was only one. And even him. He is called in Hebrews, righteous Lot. But look at the actions of righteous Lot. When the men of the city came, I mean, well, first, he did good stuff. He, He implored the angels, come inside. Please, don't stay in the square. But when the men of the city came, he offered his daughters, which we can make excuses for. But let's face facts. Righteous Lot had been uh, twisted to a certain extent. Even though he lived there, even though he was considered righteous, even though he was somebody who God would save out of there, he had taken a hit. He was not all that he should have been had he never been there in the first place. And, and the same it can be true for us. We live in a wicked world. We are living in a wicked culture. You cannot help but be battered by it be tainted by it, maybe to adopt some of its ways even though you strive not to. This is how we struggle. The righteous triumph not by destroying the wicked in ourselves. That comes by God later. What does He say throughout uh, Revelation? To the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes. You know how the righteous triumph? Through faithfulness. Through, through striving with the wicked and not giving in. It, the righteous do not triumph by adopting the wicked's ways. The righteous do not triumph by becoming stronger and beating up the wicked. That, that would be adopting the wicked's ways, I think. That is not the way Jesus did it. But the righteous triumph. And there is great glory when we stand, when we hide. And... and when we understand the wicked and aren't afraid of them. And, and so what we see here that you know, evil men do not understand justice. Those who, under, who seek the Lord understand all things. We can strive with the wicked. We can understand them. And, and that's truly an important thing. For us as believers, we must understand the wicked and not flee. To, to understand not just what is right or wrong, but why, in some instances, are they the way they are. To have understanding and compassion that a lot of people are wicked and they're just going along with the flow. They haven't had somebody that comes into their life that, that alters the course that they are on. Jesus looked out upon the multitudes And he thought of them as just sheep without a shepherd. They had nobody to guide them to truth. Nobody to guide them the right way. He cared for them. He understood them. He understood the Pharisees when they came to him with their questions and their struggles, their arguments and their anger and their hate. He understood. He understood the Romans and how they operated. He understood his life and his situation and the violence done to him. He understood you would have no authority if it wasn't given to you by my Father in heaven. He understood. He didn't flee. He understood that what was coming. He understood he was paying. 
He understood he was going to feel pain and suffering and die. And he understood. They didn't know what they were doing. Father, forgive them. As we look at the wickedness around us, do you have any compassion on those who do it? Do you understand why they are wicked? Why they teach their children wickedness? Why they desire to not seek the Lord, but instead to forsake His law? The thing we need to do as believers is to understand them. The Bible tells us that, that those who seek the Lord understand all things. Not just justice, not just what is better, but also hopefully understand the wicked and their ways and why they're that way. Hopefully so that we might have compassion for them as Jesus has had compassion on us even when we definitely did not deserve it. If we, if we trust in the Lord and we understand the wicked, hopefully maybe then we can understand a little bit of some points later. In verse 8, he tells us, He who increases his wealth by interest and usury. The person who, who increases their possessions, their wealth, by charging interest, which you were not supposed to do to a fellow Jew, that was against the law. If you loan somebody a hundred bucks, you were to ha let them pay you back a hundred bucks in whatever amount of time with no interest. The rules were different if you're dealing with people who were not Jews, but the Jews, they were considered family. You weren't supposed to charge interest. So the person who increases his wealth by interest, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm working at increasing my wealth by interest right now. You know, I invest in companies and I hope to get something out there. I got money in the bank. I hope it earns some interest. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are going against the word of the Lord and charging interest to people they should not be so that they can make money off of them. And the other part, usury. That is uh, using uh, difficult and harsh rules against people that you are charging them, uh, trying to increase your wealth. He says the person that does these things, they, they look at it and they think they're raising money for themselves, they're building up money for themselves, but they're really just gathering it for him who's gracious to the poor. And, and now think about this. Most people, they, they you know, build up money. Who are giving it to? Their kids. The kids squander it. They don't treat it the same way as the parents did. That's why you've got a lot of celebrities and millionaires right now talking about how they're not giving their kids anything because they don't want to ruin their kids. Who gathers? Who, who takes it? Now, he's gathering it to him, for him. Gathering like the idea of just reaping a, a harvest. He's harvesting it. For him who is gracious to the poor. Who is gracious to the poor? Our Father in Heaven. So, so the people who think they're they are amassing wealth for themselves, no, God is overseeing everything. God is uh, involved in everything. And God is going to use that for His own purposes. They gather it for Him who is gracious to the poor. Or the idea on a human side would be that an inheritance would eventually go to somebody who is righteous and he would then be gracious to the poor. 
The idea, though, is that the person who is increasing his wealth by interest and usury, who's, who's abusing the poor, throughout this passage, there's a lot of this picture about the, the poor man who, who oppresses the lowly like a driving rain, the person who increases his wealth by interest and usury. Uh, you got in verse 6, better is the poor who walks in his integrity. You even have in... in um, I'm looking for it. Where There it is in verse 11. Uh, the rich man who is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. So you got the idea of understanding going through, but also this rich and poor idea. And, and the focus here is, is that the wicked who uh, glorify the wicked and, and don't follow the law, who work to increase their wealth, their desires are not going to come to fruition that that is actually going to be used for the poor, that it is going to go to the one who is gracious to the poor. God is going to have all things and have victory in the end. Verse 10 tells us that he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. So first you have that, that those that would try to gain money for themselves, it's going to go to God and it's going to bless the poor. Here, it, it, it's the idea that the one who would try to lead the, the righteous astray, the upright astray, and lead them into a, a pit, into an evil way, the one who leads them is actually going to fall into his own pit. The, the one who operates in wickedness is going to die by his own wickedness. But the end result for the blameless, is that they will inherit good. And that idea of inheritance, going back to the one who's raising up and trying to get all of his money, but what does he do? He gathers for the one who is gracious to the poor. And then finally, in verse 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. See the idea of trying to get ahead, getting away with things. And the person who conceals his transgressions he has sinned, he has hurt people, but he tries to conceal it. I think this is a, a word this is a word that needs to be said to a lot of churches today. There are a lot of churches and, and that are still not clear on the idea that if somebody is hurt within you, the best thing to do is to confess it if If you have a leader in the church who is abusive, the right thing to do is to confess it, not to hide it. Not to give him standing ovations and treat the victims of his, of his behavior as if they're at fault. And yet, overwhelmingly, that is what a lot of churches right now are doing. And, and their thinking is, is we've got to protect the church. We can't have this stain our name. We can't have it stain Jesus' name. Jesus went to the cross. He's already stained by it. What hurts us most is that we try to Conceal it. Instead, he who confesses and forsakes, instead of forsaking the law, forsake our sin, forsake our transgressions, turn away from them, walk away from them, confess them and have nothing to do with them ever again. That's a picture of repentance. That person will find compassion. And, and this is a truth, it is a hard truth to learn that when you hurt somebody, a lot of times what happens? If you've wronged somebody, you don't want to admit it, do we? We're human. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to admit we've done wrong. We don't want to admit we've hurt somebody. And if you 
go and you confess yourself to them, if you admit that you're wrong, what do you do? You place yourself at their mercy. They can hurt you if they want to. They cannot forgive you if they want to. They can do all sorts of things. You're at their mercy. You're out of control. But if I can keep it to myself, if I can conceal this, now I've got control. But the truth is, as Jesus tells us, the one who tries to save his life is going to lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so in the same way, if, if, when we take our sins when we take our transgressions and when we confess them and admit to them and we forsake them, you find compassion. Because the majority of people you go to that you have wronged, when you confess to them that you have wronged them, you know what? What do you do when somebody comes and tells you that they are wrong, that they did something to you? All your anger, all it's like the wind just drops out of your sail and you don't have any power anymore. you got to be truly wicked and evil person to keep being mad. When somebody comes to you humbly and confesses and asks for forgiveness. A person who does that is going to find compassion. A lot of times we take it too far and we'll even say, oh, you didn't, no, it's okay, don't, oh, you don't need to apologize. No, they do and we need to forgive. But it's tough. It's tough to admit our fault and it's tough to actually utter the words, I forgive you. And yet, that's how we find compassion. And, and the Three verses that we have looked at, 8, 10, and 13, they all have good endings for righteous people. They have good endings for those who trust in God. They have bad endings for those who stand against Him. And, and the thing that we need to remember as, as we, we, we face off with a, a, a wicked culture and world that seems at times overpowering, remember that God is gracious and promises us good. He promises us good. We may be going through a hard time, but we know the end result is good. We may be going through challenges and trials and tribulations, but we know that the end is going to be good. In fact, He promises us that through it, He is working in all things for our good, for those that love the Lord. God is gracious, and He promises us good. And so hopefully, as we think about our response to the world as it is today and what, what it looks like it's going to be for the near future, for, for the ongoing future, I think, how are we as believers supposed to act? It is no longer that everybody goes to church on a Sunday. It is no longer thing that there is reverence for the Lord that stores are shut down on a Sunday. I'm not saying, oh, we need to get all that back. I'm just saying, recognize that the world around us has changed. And in a certain extent, not for the better. But in a, another way of looking at it, much for the better. Because now, now the wicked are proclaiming themselves to be wicked. Now we have a stark reality of what it means to walk with Jesus and to trust in Him. And it is not a time to hide. It is a time to trust. To, to live with understanding. And to know that our God is gracious and good. So do not fear, but seek the Lord.
Seek Him in your life today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask, Father, that You would forgive us for the times that we, do, we, we want to hide. We seek to hide ourselves. We see the wickedness and we want to flee. We want to go to the good old times when, when we didn't have to worry about it or think about it or see it, even though there was wickedness there. Sometimes we think about going to a different place. If I just lived somewhere else, if I just did this, if I just did that, we wouldn't have to live with it, we wouldn't have to see it. But Lord, we know that the world is in rebellion against you and wickedness is everywhere. Father, instead of seeking to hide or, or draw ourselves together into a smaller and tighter circle, help us to stand firm, trusting not in ourselves but in you that we would do so with understanding, with hope and faith that You are a gracious God who loves us and cares for us and who has promised us good all the days of our lives. Father, we pray that we would live not by the way of the world, but by the way of Your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.